Hello and welcome to the Raw Alex Sunderland podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo team. Richard Minet here and I'm joined by a special guest this week, former Sunderland winger Kieran Brady. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, plus Phil Smith. Morning. And James Copley. Good morning. Uh, no Mark this week. He's off getting revved up for the big weekend. And a big game against the mighty Bristol Rovers at home on Saturday. Um, as ever, plenty to discuss, so let's get cracking. Should we start with the Oxford reflections of last week? Um, good win for Sunderland, 1-0 down at the Kassam Stadium, thanks to Jordan Willis's early header. It was definitely Jordan Willis's header, wasn't it, Phil? It was, yeah. I, the, the other guy didn't even jump. I don't no. understand. I just feel a bit for him, really, because I thought it was quite a good header. It's did been, it, been robbed of him. Did it go down as an OG? In yeah, the, officially. Yeah. There doesn't appear to be like a goals committee right. outside the Premier League. Mm. They seem to have just decided that it doesn't really matter. I think so. it's whoever works for PA, isn't it? They just decide, seem to decide who gets yeah. the I mean, I'd have a right laugh yeah. if that was my job. You yeah, have, yeah, you yeah. have all sorts of fun, can you? I mean, well, would be top scorer if I was. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's going to be the exception to the rule if you're ever going to get a defensive player that would try to argue the point that they did get the last touch. Yeah. The, the only one in history that I suspect was ever considered to that end was Terry Butcher when mm. he chased Diego Maradona. Yeah. He would have yeah. loved to have claimed that OG just to take <laughs> the title take of off greatest goal ever scored. Yeah. In fact, he's acknowledged as much, so... Um, but yeah, it was a really good win down at uh, down at Oxford, given the given the weather, and it can be a tough place to go. And I think Sunderland have drawn one one with Oxford in every game since they've been in League One, so it was a good away win. Um, getting the goal after a couple of minutes, Willis heading home from a Chris Maguire corner. Um, so keeping the unbeaten run going since the Portsmouth defeat in another clean sheet, three on the spin. Um, can we not touch on that? I predicted the right score. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you get the one mm. Do I get points go. for that? No, you don't. You don't get a medal either. <laughs> um, Phil, what's your reflections on the, the game last week and where Sunderland sort of currently stand in the last 13, 13 games? Yeah, it was very good. I thought that um, it was obviously getting the goal so early in the game suited them right down the ground, particularly in the conditions. I think it was always the kind of game where they were going to be quite happy to put their kind of attacking ambitions to bed, if you like. Yeah. And to be fair, although Oxford they probably had two small spells in the game, um, one sort of 10-15 minutes in and then just after half-time, where they did look like they'd stretched Sunderland, I actually thought for the most part Sunderland looked quite comfortable defensively. Um, John McGottman made a couple of decent saves, but it wasn't like the game there last year where he had to make a few really, really, really good stops yeah. um, to kind of save definite goals, if you like. So I thought they had control of the game, really, um, and even in the last 10 minutes when they were box was under a lot of pressure I, they seemed quite comfortable um in that scenario um you didn't really feel like they were going to concede unless they you know got very unlucky with a bounce or a deflection or something so i think it was a a, a very deserved win um and one of those days where given the conditions and the opposition you know you kind of the performance i think is secondary but i did think you know i, I thought the quality of the defending and the way they you know, repelled the ball from the box. I thought, I thought they deserved it, and it, it leaves them in a in a very good position. Carl Robinson can be a bit of a wind up merchant, but he felt that Oxford dominated the the game, and I certainly didn't. I certainly didn't feel that being there at the game. As you say, there was a maybe a ten minute spell after half time when we had a few half chances, but there wasn't really too many saves for John McLaughlin. Um, Kieran, from from afar, what did you make of the win in the, in the last couple of games of in terms of how Sunderland have been playing and bouncing back from that Portsmouth defeat? I think the most outstanding feature is the lack of goals conceded yeah. and great credit has to go to Phil Parkinson, the coaching staff and the players for that and I think if you look beyond that, whilst the statistic is impressive enough in isolation, <coughs> I think if you look at the fact that a goalkeeper isn't getting man of the match 
often it then reflects even better on the defensive players that they're not conceding yeah. as many chances. So that's certainly something that a lot of credit is owed to the to the, the, the players, the coaching staff and management because it's not something that comes ar- around by default. Mm. You know, it's something that will be worked upon in the training ground. And it's something, of course, that they would hope to continue. In fact, I believe it's imperative that it does continue because I still would have concerns that they're not a free-scoring side in any... You know, and they're not scoring a lot of goals from open play that you would perhaps expect from a side that is competing for automatic promotion or the playoffs. So, you know, certainly when you consider how the opening... 12 or 14 games went under Phil Parkinson's tenure. Yeah. It's been a remarkable transformation and to that end he deserves a lot of credit. Just while we're talking about John McLaughlin, I know we've spoken about it quite a lot on the podcast, his contract situation, how important do you think it is for someone to tie him down, I guess? Well, I think in a wider context, the lack of movement or certainly what's accessible in the public domain yeah. would be a concern because he obviously is not the only player whose contract is due to expire at the end of June and that of course leads to further questions as to what the financial situation is and if the constraints are placed upon the football and operation that mean it's you know basically a month to month situation and what monies are going to be available but it's certainly a concern and Although I don't think John McLaughlin has returned to the very obvious form that we witnessed last season, you still want to ensure that you've got players that are reputable at that level. Mm. And I think John McLaughlin said at the beginning of the season that there had been talks, but the concern perhaps now is that that seems to have stalled, or yeah. it's certainly not publicly known. So, yeah, I guess um, the takeover situation as well at the club, and in terms of who owns the club moving forward, might might be a factor as well. Those kind of yeah, I mean, for might. for all everything seems to be going reasonably well on the field at present. A lot of supporters will be prepared to try and ascertain what is actually happening with the club, yeah. as opposed to the team yeah. and. The fans have got every right to have concerns in that regard. Uh, one negative from the weekend win at Oxford was obviously the injury to Bailey Wright. Um, the defender going off late on, he obviously sort of hobbled off the pitch with a bit of assistance. And Phil Parkinson said post match that it didn't look good, and indeed it wasn't. Um, out for between eight to twelve months, which, sorry, weeks, eight <laughs> to twelve weeks, not months. Um, but Phil, you would you would think that would pretty much see him out for the rest of the campaign, unless someone went through the playoffs and. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I suppose there's always the the possibility that I think the reason they've kept it slightly open is that I guess the possibility he could recover a bit quicker than that. And like I say, if you go into that playoff campaign, you you want to keep all your options open. Um, it it is a really it is a really big blow because you know the manager had made quite a brave decision to put Bailey Wright in the team, and he struggled a little bit at Portsmouth, but then so did the whole team. And I think by and large, you can see that he. He has brought something a bit different to that defence in terms of his experience and his leadership. Um, and he was kind of already getting himself into a position where, especially in the big games against teams at the top, he was becoming one of those first names on the team sheet just because of that experience that he's got and that maturity. And you know, the, the manager and his assistant had spoken before the window about getting that extra little bit of experience in. Because when you look at the starting eleven, for the most part, it is actually quite a young one. Um, there's not too many players who've played above League One um, and I think they felt that 
bringing in that kind of older head and someone who played in the you know in the bigger tiers at big stadiums and kind of understood those pressures would be useful and I think we saw we've seen already that Bailey Wright certainly did have that so um, it's it's a big blow to lose and the positive obviously is that uh, Aleem and, and also Joel Lynch you've got players even pressed recently and mm. Sunderland's defensive record had turned before Bailey Wright came into the side so that tells you that it's also about you know coaching on the training grounds obviously very good and it's not purely down to personnel, but it's it, it's certainly a, a real blow because he was he was beginning to settle into that unit really nicely. James, would you pick Gosturk over uh, Lynch? Obviously, depends on Lynch's uh, fitness after a few I'm, weeks. I'm huh? sitting next to Phil, so I don't really want to say that uh, Joe Lynch <laughs> should stand over um, Big Alim, but I, I would probably go with Alim actually. And I think it's um, it's as Phil says, it's it's good that that defensive unit seems to be working. And although Bailey Wright is a big blow, and you can see in the reaction of Sunderland fans that they've quite taken to him, but um, with the form of, of Flanagan and particularly Jordan Willis, it's not as bad as first feared. It's I, I don't think it's a case of Bailey Wright holding that defence together. I think somebody can slot in, uh, but obviously it, it is a big blow because he was he was in form. Um, Kieran, um, just on Bailey Wright in the, the January signings, obviously we've not seen too much of the other signings, which I guess is a good thing because. Phil Paxton hasn't had to throw them mm. in because the current players have been doing so well. But how much of a blow is is going to be losing losing Bailey Wright? Do you think? Well, he's been an integral part of a back three or back five on occasions yeah. that have been so good at keeping clean sheets. So to that end, Phil Parkinson would be very satisfied at a personal level that he's decided to bring him in. But I believe that whether it is Ozturk or Lynch who becomes the deputies I still think if it's a very well embedded system mm. then they hopefully can absorb what Phil Parkinson wants from them and they can slot in you know, quite comfortably um, I suppose what in many ways has came to the fore is the reported susceptibility of Bailey Wright to injuries yeah. which had been a concern prior to his arrival so I don't think it's a major issue and in the game certainly that I've seen Ozturk, he's never been a major letdown. I know there's concerns about pace and sometimes he can perhaps be overly physical but I would like to think that if the system is fully understood by the defensive players then it shouldn't be as much of a concern as some would believe. Uh, we're recording this at the University of Sunderland on Thursday morning, so Phil Parkinson's due to give his press conference at lunchtime today ahead of the visit of Bristol Rovers. Um, so we'll get a full update on the likes of Joel Lynch, etc. then. Lynch, I think, was due to return to training this week, wasn't he, Phil? Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit of an ongoing thing. Yeah. Um, I th- it's Tricky things, you know, ribs, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, it's just a, <clears> it's just a soreness, um, and I do sympathise because I took a, an elbow to the rib playing uh, football earlier this week so <laughs> I'm uh, feeling very sorry for myself but yeah I think the idea was for him to return to full training this week but I think there was also that recognition that they would just kind of have to monitor it because I don't think it's an exact science really yeah. it's just a case of how he's feeling and how his movements are but I mean to be fair it, it's not really a decision in terms of Oztek versus Lynch and who Partinson thinks is a better defender he's obviously got a way he likes that back three unit to set up and he sees Joel as someone who plays on the left of it and Aleem is someone who plays in the centre mm. it's a very obvious to see why he likes Jordan on the right of it yeah. because there's quite a bit of attacking um, pressures um, or responsibilities rather in that position Because so Jordan we all know has got the athleticism he's played right back before similarly like someone on the left who can bring the ball out and hold possession I think Joel being a left footer 
that's why he likes him in that role. So I think it's it's not necessarily who's the better player in terms of who he brings in for Bailey Wright. It's just about who he thinks is better suited to the role, and he clearly sees Aleem as someone who's very good at that central role. Um, and I'm I'm sure we can ask him a little bit more about why that is. But I, I think Aleem will come back in. It's not necessarily because he thinks he's a better defender than Joel Lynch. It's just he obviously has a set way yeah. of how he likes that back three to shape up. And you know, with seven clean sheets from eight, mm. it's uh, it's yeah, hard yeah. to quibble with that too much. Um, January signings generally, Kieran. What did you make of the business done? And Phil Parkinson said he wanted five, and they got five in in the end. In um, sort of the areas that they needed to strengthen. But what was your overall thought of the overall view of the business done? Was it enough? Do you think? Well, I think it's hard to be definitive, and obviously it's only when we get to May that you could perhaps offer something more definitive. Mm. I think the concern from many supporters would be that. <coughs> There wasn't any significant outlay. Yeah, I think that the ten million pound loan must be for other avenues within the club. Because mm. I think when you consider the players that departed and set them against the players that came in, yeah, then arguably at least the you know the players that went out were costing more per week yeah. than the players who came in. But that, of course, doesn't mean that the players who have come in cannot be a success and cannot help the club achieve its objectives this season. Bailey Wright has been the outstanding one insofar as someone that's playing regularly. Yeah. And you can, of course, point to the fact that the performances of the teams are contributing significantly to the lack of game time for the others. But I just felt that... Some of the comments that were made in November and December were essentially trying to say that this money is going to be available. And in one respect, Phil Parkinson may be content that he was able to bring in at least some of the players that he had targeted. But you also have to consider that the the players that he would have targeted would be set within the budget Mm -hmm. that he was being allowed, which for me doesn't amount to very much. So... Again, it would just go back to giving Phil Parkinson, his coaching staff and the players a lot of credit because I I do believe that a lot of those players are League One players. You know, I don't really think that they're going to, if, for example, Sunderland do get promoted, um, it would be a struggle yeah. without a significant influx of better standard players. Yeah. You know, there's no getting away from it. But I don't, I, you know, I don't know. Lafferty... I think can offer something. I've seen enough of them to know that. But obviously Parkinson at this moment seems very wedded to the idea of White being the central forward. Um, Semenyo, from the videos I've seen of him, dribbling skills are plenty. End product, almost non-existent. And that would be a concern. And Declan John, I'd seen at Rangers over the... 10 or 12 games that he'd played um, he may well offer something in in terms of certainly cover for Hume, Hume's been a revelation you know since the opening games of the season it's been wonderful to watch how he's grown in stature and confidence Um, and who am I omitting at the moment Scowling Scowling yeah I mean it's interesting that midfield isn't it because Dobson and Power have been so effective the last few weeks they, they have um 
so it's obviously I think the jury would still be out, but he's got he has got a lot of experience playing at a, a higher level. So, um, and you you would think that as the season goes on, they would be called upon more, mm. given the the number of games that's played and obviously the potential of the playoffs. Um, but I think the person that deserves the most credit is undoubtedly the manager because there were so many calls for him to be removed after 10 or 12 games. I think he was, he's quite fortunate in retrospect that five of the games that he didn't win in the opening 12 or so were cup games. Yeah. And of course it did have a detrimental effect on league position, but that's been recoverable and he deserves a lot of credit for the way they've gone about it. Do you think uh, Sunderland are benefiting hugely from the schedule this season in terms of not having so many other competitions? Because although that said, Portsmouth mm. have generally been flying in the league recently, and they're still in the Leeson dot com. They're still in the FA Cup as well. I, I I don't subscribe to this idea that you know it's a one size fits all approach. Mm. I think you have to take a group of individuals, and some will prefer to be in as many competitions as possible, whereas others, particularly those with experience or most susceptible to injuries may feel the benefits of your focus being exclusive around your yeah. league objectives. So it, it's it's hard to say. Portsmouth started very slowly in terms of the league, but they've now looked like one of the genuinely formed yeah. teams. So um, <coughs> who knows? Is it one defeat in 11, I think, for Portsmouth? They won 10 on the spin, didn't they? Or was it nine? Was it nine? Yeah, or ten? I was speaking to someone down there when we were down for the league game, and I think they've probably revised their approach a little bit this season on the back of what happened last year. I think he's rotated in the league a bit more so I think he's kind of learned from that experience last year where they probably did run out of steam a little bit towards the end of the season I think he's the kind of manager who generally speaking likes to, a bit like Phil Parkinson actually he has his way of doing things over a long period of time and I think this year it sounds as if he's rotated a little bit more to kind of accommodate for those for those cup games um, and to be fair you know Portsmouth will also have made a hell of a lot of money out of their cup runs this year and that yeah. might have, might well have allowed them to do something in January that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise and that's another aspect of doing well in the cups that can sometimes especially at this level not quite get the attention it merits because if you go on a couple of cup runs that can bring mm. best part of £2 million into your football club and at this level that can make mm. a huge amount of difference in the last few months of the season so you know I, per, personally I, w- I would like you know I, w- I wish Sunderland were you know going for a final again to try and put right what happened last year but unfortunately that's not the case and the positive certainly is, is that it's allowed Phil Partinson a bit more time on the training pitch to work with his units and we're kind of seeing the positives of that but um, I'm, I'm not sure last year it might have been a factor but I think you know Portsmouth seem to have, have kind of learned the lessons from last year which of course is what all football clubs should do you learn from your experiences so I, I don't think they're going to blow up at all to be honest I think they're probably are in a decent position to sustain it over the rest of the season. I think, despite their cup run, I think they'll be one of, if not the main contender for that for that automatic promotion spot. Just just on Josh Scowen, um, he obviously got was it about half an hour, I think, at Oxford last week. Um, Linda Gooch going off um, going off early. Do you think Gooch was struggling a little bit in that game, or do you think he was just keen to bring Scowen on again a bit more control in that central midfield? Well, I think um, it was it. The first thing certainly thought was a really good substitution because yeah. he, the, the manager has had a lot of criticism. I understand it because he seemed very wedded to doing one thing. But to be fair to him, that was an example of fairly early in the game him switching things around to to adapt to the situation. I thought Linda Gooch was having a poor game and he's been excellent recently, mm. so there's no shame in that. But you know, Rob, Rob Dickey, the Oxford centre half who I thought had an excellent game is a mm. very good player we just had the better of him on, on this particular day and sometimes that can happen 
Um, so if you've got players up front who aren't making the ball stick, then it makes sense to strengthen your midfield. And to be fair to Scowan, I thought he did a good job. He, you know, we didn't see a huge amount from him on the ball in terms of creating or opening up opportunities. But the way the game was, that's not necessarily yeah. what his role was. His, his role was to show a bit of maturity. Um, and I thought he made good decisions on the ball. Um, so it was, a, it was an encouraging cameo. It was nice to see him come on and not try and kind of, I guess that's experience, not coming on to try and prove yeah. a major point or do something you know, headline grabbing so everyone would go, wow, look at Josh Scow and he just came yeah. on and slotted in and showed the experience that he's been brought in for. So it was a it was a big positive and and I, and I do kinda of get the feeling with Scow and he's had to wait for his opportunity but, you know, it will come and you do kind of suspect with the experience that he's got that once he gets in I think it'll be very difficult to get him out again. It's just when that when that moment actually arrives and clearly he's getting closer and closer to that. His nickname the rat, isn't he? Oh. Josh Scowan, so you can <laughs> Kind of see what kind of midfielder he is. Um, just on Gooch, Kieran, what, um, Phil Pattinson didn't have him available for the bulk of his first kind of nine, ten games when he was under that pressure due to injury. He always knew how important Gooch was going to be to the way he wanted to play. Mm. Um, what's your thoughts on Gooch this season? He obviously tailed off a fair bit last season, but is that just because he's a young player and getting that kind of consistency? And perhaps, but I think of all the players since Christmas that would deserve significant credit, then Lyndon Gooch would. Mm. feature very prominently he is industrious there's concerns of course at times about his final ball <clears throat> sometimes he may overdo it, sometimes it seems very frenetic but I think when you can point to the goals that have been scored the fact that he doesn't seem to let his head go down or he certainly hasn't latterly then he has been someone that I think Sunderland have looked to to provide you know or yeah, yeah. whether it's assists whether it's goals and uh, and of course he's you know the, his goals the quality of the goals particularly you know you think of Doncaster away you think of MK Dons mm. away um, you know on, on his weaker side and, and that doesn't come in many respects naturally that's something that he will be on the training ground working upon and as a manager or coach you're always trying to encourage players that if you use your weaker foot you will see the fruits one day and it might come in a, a very important manner and of course to win at Doncaster which was the beginning of the renaissance and then of course MK Dons you know, to settle the game with such a, a wonderful effort from outside the box so he, he, he does deserve a lot of credit um, he really does and there's a good balance in between him and Maguire yeah um, ones get the appearance of a maverick much more than yeah, than yeah. Gooch, who does seem to conform to what he's been asked to do. But they've both contributed of late. One of the key ish, uh, key factors of the sort of recent good run is that consistency in selection. Um, a lot of unchanged yeah. teams, or maybe just one or two, obviously have to make a forced change this weekend with Bailey Wright being mm. out and Oztech likely to come in. Aside from that, would you keep things as they are? You touched on Wikes, um, kind of Parkinson, keen on. Keen on Mike, obviously. Would you would you keep White in the team, or would you give Lafferty a chance? I I think certainly at home against the opposition that may not feature in the playoff hunt. Yeah, there would be a greater temptation because as much as Charlie White will try and give his all, I don't think that in terms of goals or assists. There's a outstanding product there. Mm. I know there's been one or two, you know, um, but in the main, I think I think Lafferty would offer you something different. You know, I think he's more mobile. 
I think he's as good in the air, even if he's not as as tall or as bulky as Wyke. Yeah. Um, but I think the most important thing regarding Saturday is to try and start in the manner that they've started recent home matches. Mm. You know, to 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 be three 0 up yeah. in three of the last five home matches at half time tells you something about what can be a very positive reciprocal relationship between the start and eleven and the supporters. So if they can in a sense blow Bristol Rovers away in the opening stages, even if they don't get a goal in the first five minutes, which yeah. we're kind of be- becoming accustomed to yeah. or in the early stages, then it can definitely set the tone for you know, at least the first half. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, the the only difference would probably be that um, obviously Doncaster and Ipswich didn't fall for it because for me they were the the better sides in yeah. both of the first halves. But against maybe the the lower opposition, um, then you would like to think it can con- continue. Going back to your playing days when managers were picking the same team every week, mm. and say say you were out of the team, how? kind of frustrating was that or did you just kind of accept that this is a, a winning team and that it's the best thing for the club at the moment um, well I mean look, to answer the question it does seem as if, if you Phil, were ever left out of the team uh, <laughs> uh, yeah it does seem as if <laughs> Phil Parkinson is operating from the old school yeah in the sense that I don't know if he says to the players look if you go out and perform today individually and it works for us collectively then you're making it very difficult for me to leave you out of the side yeah and of course that's that's been the case. They have performed well for the most part individually and collectively recently. Um, going back to my own career, I, I I didn't I didn't want the person who was playing in my position to perform well. And I know you got a lot of people that will try and impress upon supporters or media that it's all about the team. It's nonsense. Yeah. They're just very good at and become very accustomed to half truths and lies. You yeah. know, it's an individual's career even if it's a team game. So, I would want the team to win, but I wouldn't be overly keen on the players that operated in and around my position scoring hat-tricks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I, um, I was I was a young, aspiring player yeah. that wanted to play. Yeah. I did respect the fact that, because I only played until I was, my injury first came to this office when I was 20. So I was still very much in, the embryonic stages of a career and to that end I knew that I wasn't going to play every single week so yeah, that was always part of my thinking also Do you keep the same team? James, Barb, Bailey Wright obviously coming up uh, Yeah I would simply for continuity um, I don't think they'll be that tired they've, they've had a week so I don't see that being an issue uh, when you've got quality players I think we touched on this last week like Lafferty and Scoward on the bench who've played at a higher level um, as Kieran says, we all know what Lafferty can do and he scored at a high level and why, so he's always going to have that shadow. There's always going to be a bit of a clamour from fans. Mm. And it's the nature of football fans and the nature of all of us as well. We always want more. So if we're winning but the centre-forward's not scoring, people are going to ask questions around that. It's it's just natural. We all hyper-analyse the game at times. So I think um, I, I would keep it the same, but I can understand why you always kind of want to... You know, add a add a piece to the puzzle to yeah. to improve it more to yeah. to get more. Because at some point he'll keep it the same, one and he'll get beat, and then he'll get criticised. Yeah, that's just the nature. Possible. What what's uh, what's your view, uh, Phil, on 
I mean, how Parkinson's kind of managed the. Yeah, the I think I, I don't I don't see him making any further changes for Saturday, particularly because it's his home. And I get the debate about Charlie White, and and, and ultimately it goes down to the fact that something we've alluded to earlier. With the one concern you would have about this team at the moment is it is attacking wise, they're not necessarily a unit that matches up to the other teams going for automatic promotion. Defensively, they certainly are, and that gives them a great chance. But that is the area where I think. There is that concern, do we create enough, are we clinical enough in the final final third? But ultimately if you know, if you ask the manager and, and the backroom staff about White, one of the big things they'll tell you is that, you know, he is what he's very, very good at is off the ball. He's very good at pressing and leading mm. that little unit who starts the press. And if you think back to the, the games we've discussed where Sunderland have blown teams away in, at home, it's been that pressing that the other teams have not been able to live with. Rochdale were a perfect example and, and Lincoln and Wickham also come into that category so if they believe that Wyke is the best striker they've got in terms of that aspect of the game then I would imagine they'll think he's perfectly suited to what they're going to want on Saturday playing at home in those opening stages so you know I don't think you know White clearly is is, is not the the all-round centre forward at the moment um, but while Maguire and Gooch are in form I think the manager takes the view that he can afford to sacrifice that goal scoring aspect of his game because he's got those threats coming from elsewhere now, if Maguire and Gooch go off the boil a little bit, all of a sudden it's a very different conversation, isn't it? Because then you can't afford to carry a centre forward who's lacking a bit of conviction in front of goal. But at the moment, while he's fulfilling his duties off the ball that they're asking of him, and they insist he does that better than anyone, you know, he's mm. going to stay in the team, and particularly at home where they see that as is one of their main weapons. And you know, to be fair, recent recent <coughs> games would suggest that's you know a, a fair a fair assessment to make. I think also with Wake. I don't have the statistics to hand, but Phil Parkinson may be able to say that although Charlie Wake doesn't provide any direct assists or not many, he perhaps is very good at assisting assists mm. in a way that maybe some others who would be less physical, even if they're more mobile, wouldn't be able to provide. And I take Phil's point that you know he will try and look at other things out with goals and assists, which of course is going to be the the things that people look at first and foremost from a centre forward. But Phil Parkinson can look to the collective form of late and think, well, Charlie White has played a part in it, even (coughs) if it's not in the part that most people would look to first. And I'm not saying start the pair together, but White and Lafferty were quite effective when they did play together against Ipswich. And White laid the ball on Maguire, albeit... Yeah, a little touch as well. Um, well, I think you know as the game went on against Ipswich, obviously Sunderland had started the second half in the manner you always hope they'll start the first yeah. half. But you know, get game management, um, and you know, Phil was talking about scouting. You know, having the experience to know. Well, it's not my job to go on when we're leading one nil at Oxford and try to be this playmaker. Yeah, I've got a job to do, which largely involves ball retention and if I do that we've already in a sense won the game I'm going on I'm going on to help ensure things remain the same as opposed to trying <coughs> to take the initiative um, against Ipswich of course I think Sunderland were at a stage where they thought well, we've got them on the rack now so let's let's add to it Yeah. and you know they, they reap the rewards eventually um, I, I don't know if I would be I don't know if I'd consider starting both. No. I think potentially a big thing with those two as well, especially if you defend the lead like last week, 
if you defend a lot of set pieces, mm, having sure. Wake and Lafferty on the pitches here gives yeah. you two huge. Um, and I do think that was probably a factor in bringing Lafferty on the other night and keeping Wyke on as well. Um, obviously, against Ipswich, it was an attacking sub, but I think against Oxford, that might have been a might have mm. been a factor if you're expecting a lot of free kicks and corners in your box. You've got three centre halves and two huge centre forwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're giving yourself a, a good chance. Just on the uh, just looking at the, the stats on the, the table, actually, Sunderland have scored 23 less fewer goals than than Peterborough. Although Peterborough have played two two games more. Um, just for when you were touching on the attacking um, abilities of some of the other promotion, I might be nicking, Sorry, on the some of the other mm. promotion rivals. I mean, that's a significant chunk of goals scored more, isn't it? Yeah, I mean Peterborough and Rotherham. Yeah, from memory, to Rotherham. Yeah, another seem extra to be very free scoring for the most part. Yeah. But obviously, they might have much greater concerns than Sunderland in terms of defending. They've considered uh, 13 more goals than yeah. Yeah. Sunderland. So um, just 26 with Sunderland is quite impressive. Yeah, it is. It certainly is. Um, and, and even you look back to, albeit it was the cup game, you look at some of the goals they've conceded and think how avoidable they were, like Gillingham's goal at the Stadium of Light, yeah. you know, when yeah, John yeah. McLaughlin didn't cover himself in glory. Um, <clears> and maybe even then Phil Parkinson thought that there was... A potentially solid foundation defensively, because you, he might have looked at that game, for example, against Gillingham, as frustrating as it was, and thought, "Well, do you know what? We we have defended well in this game, mm. but for a shot from a speculative shot from outside the box that's yeah. went through the keeper." Um, so even then, he might have felt that there was a foundation for something positive and productive. Um, but it's going to be interesting, you know. Still got Rotherham and Peter to say, play. Rotherham away will be tasty on the final day of the season. Well, if anything, you would hope that if Rotherham are going to be promoted automatically, yeah. that they are promoted by then. Yeah. And Sunderland obviously still have something to to play for. Although in saying that, if you were Rotherham and you were promoted by the last day of the season, yeah. given what we're witnessing now, the bottom end of the championship, I think Rotherham would go all out to try to. Uh, ensure Sunderland don't get promoted because if you're Rotherham given the finances I don't think you would ideally want Sunderland promoted alongside you yeah especially if they've got new owners yeah, yeah. Um, <coughs> just so. just on the running then um, that's, that's a long way up that's a long way away and a lot of permutations <laughs> away yeah it's rapidly approaching um, 13 games left to go then in the League 1 campaign obviously just 44 games played this season given Berry's expulsion. Um, Sunderland oh. currently three points off the top, um, just six points separate. Leaders Rotherham and Fleetwood down in eighth, who obviously visit the stadium alight on Tuesday night. That's going to be a huge, mm. huge game as well. And I mean, you could even go down to eleventh, I suppose, with Doncaster, who are on forty-eight points. They're just five points outside the playoffs, although obviously games are running out. Um, so there's arguably sort of nine, ten teams heavily involved in the promotion chase. Um, how do we see things going in the final 13 games? And do you think Sunderland can sustain this good form? They're in a good place at the moment. I believe so. I think confidence is a huge factor in football, both yeah. individually and collectively. But I think the organisation that they have should engender a lot of confidence you know, throughout the club. Um, you know, I suppose one concern would be when it does come to the games against the the better sides you know you, you think of what happened down at Fratton Park Ipswich in the first half at home mm. even Doncaster who I thought performed very well in the opening 
45 minutes at the stadium or like but I think home form is key Yeah, I think that has to continue and if they can of course continue to eke out 1-0 victories on the road as they've done at Tranmere and at Milton Keynes and of course latterly at Oxford then you know why, sh- why shouldn't they who would you be your top two James if I had to ask you now which I am mm, Sunderland and Rotherham Sunderland and Rotherham yeah Phil, how do you see the promotion picture and the other um, teams? Yeah, it's interesting because we've talked about it, you know quite a bit on this podcast. You have teams who who score a lot of goals and have big attacking threats, and you know Rotherham and Peterborough would be top of that. And then you probably would put Portsmouth and Sunderland in the same category where they don't play with quite the same fluidity, but mm. defensively they give very little up, and they've also got two very, very, very experienced managers. Um, so it's it's an interesting dynamic. Um, like I say, I, I just think Portsmouth seem to me to be in a in a really good place over and over a long period of time, you know, it's if that start to the season they had actually if you look at the kind of the data, I think they were getting a lot of unfortunate results and over a period of time that's kind of evened itself out. So I do see them as, as big contenders and you know, Rotherham have been there and been there and done it. They kinda of know what it takes at, at this stage of the season in this division. So I think Sunderland have got a massive chance though. I mean you one concern at the moment would be like we've discussed, they are very reliant on being exceptional defensively at the moment. Mm. There's not a lot of room of error um, for them to make kind of individual mistakes. But you know, I think they've they've they they have got a really 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 good chance, and I think they're right up there with with kind of I would say probably four or five teams who who can rightly think they've got a a, a massive show. Just it, just to touch on sorry, Rich, no. just to touch on Portsmouth as Kieran says, momentum in football. That result the other night in the semi-final of the Checker Trade against um, Exeter, was it no, sorry, Newport, was it Newport or no, Exeter? Exeter. Exeter? Salford was uh, Newport. You know, to to win that game in the manner that they did was really impressive, and it'll give them so much heart. That's you know, two cup finals in two years. That's that's a squad that will really believe in the manager and really believe in Kenny Jackard. Ipswich are interesting. I know, mm. I know they won the last game against Burton, but the, the prior to that, they'd really fallen off a cliff, haven't they? They've got quite a few of the games at home, I think, where the, there has been a bit of tension recently. Do, do you think they'll mm. come back into it? Uh, not that they're really out of it, but do you think they'll come back into the top two picture, Kim? I don't know if they'll come back into the top two. I was impressed by them when they opened the 45 minutes at the the stadium of light, but mm. they obviously weren't able to capitalise in the territorial or advantage of possession that they had I think from looking at League One as things stand Rotherham and Coventry given that they've got that game in hand over many other sides in fact they've got two games in hand or even three mm. on some Yeah, it's testament to Mark Robbins <clears throat> and um, you know what, what, they've, what they've done there that'll be a tasty game on Sunday in a couple of weeks y- yeah I mean that that's I suppose even Fleetwood at home, given I don't think Sunderland have managed to overcome Fleetwood in the last 18 months or so, and of course factor in the Joey Barton equation. <laughs> um, and Fleetwood, you know, Fleetwood have done extremely well. I know they're down in eight. Is it eighth at the moment? Eighth, yeah, they've won the, um, last, won the last four, but it's yeah. So that that'll be that'll be difficult. And I did feel that prior to the Oxford game, the games from Oxford all the way through to Coventry would give a much better indication because Coventry away will be di- very difficult yes, yeah. um, I'm saying away I know it's a, it's not exactly away it's at St Andrews yeah. um, but Fleet, Fleetwood, at, Fleetwood at home I think could be um, challenging also you know they've got two relatively experienced or yeah. 
consistent performers up front in Evans and is it Madden? Yeah, I think Chad Evans is suspended. Well, Chad Evans is suspended. Yeah, which is, which is um, good for someone. But I, honest, I, I couldn't, you know, you couldn't, as they say in football, you could throw a blanket over about seven or eight teams yeah. at the moment. And, um, but I, Rotherham and Coventry and, and, and Portsmouth and, I would I would include Peterborough, but they've played because of play- <laughs> I know <laughs> and Sunderland of course and so Wickham. I, w- Wickham, I don't Wickham, I don't think Wickham Wickham keep, you can't get rid of Wickham they keep bobbing up and down I know but my concern about Wickham would be the depth of yeah. quality in their squad and the thing is in the first part of a season some might contend that it's a team game but seeing the second part of a season it's a squad game yeah <clears throat> um, and and players being told the. the the, the idea of players being tired um, as much as I believe there's a validity to it I sometimes think it can be counterproductive to mention it as often as yeah. some managers certainly do yeah. just a couple of quick ones Kieran before we finish um, Will Grigg not getting a game at all for Sunderland obviously was close to going out in January that didn't happen um, mm. we've talked a lot about Wyke and Lafferty do you see him in any way having much of an impact between now and the end of the season he often seems to be that 19th man on a Saturday and just missing out on, mm-hmm. the, on the bench well, well I, I think Phil Parkinson given his experience as a manager would not close the door on anyone yeah. you know but it's obvious at this moment in time and it was evident throughout Jack Ross's reign that whatever he does in training whatever injuries he may have had or even tried to play with mm. he has not done enough to be considered the the primary striker. In yeah. fact, he's not done enough to be considered now in the, the the opening two. And you know, I just think there'll be a great sense of regret about his acquisition. And you know, I'm sure Stuart Donald perhaps will question why he took the decision to bring him mm-hmm. because it's something that has not worked out. And he was offered the chance, of course, to go out on loan, but. I suspect that perhaps what the obstacle was was perhaps his own decision that he didn't want to go out on loan or that there couldn't be agreement between the two respective clubs on how his salary mm. was going to be paid. Yeah, Oxford said they were close, weren't they? To, to getting him in, I think, yeah. Was it Oxford? Yeah, I think Carl Robinson had Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury, sorry. Shrewsbury. I don't, I don't Shrewsbury think there was any week. chance of them loaning them out to someone. Who could potentially, you know, you could meet in the in the playoffs further down the season, and for all Sunderland's, you know, for all it didn't, it's never looked like for a little while now. Will Griggs going to catch it, Sunderland? You know, I can see from Stuart Don's perspective why he haven't spent that money. He was reluctant to send mm. him elsewhere where he could always score ten goals between mm. now and the end of the season yeah. and cost Sunderland a place. So the question then becomes: Is there someone not up towards the top of League One who can present you with a? offer financially attractive enough to, to loan them out mm. and it's very difficult for a club like Shrewsbury to raise the kind of funds that you need to, to make that deal happen So, and I think to be fair Phil Partinson knew and Kieran's kind of alluded to this I think he knew from a while out that that's how it was going to end up because he was very conscious from about midway in the window onwards to say that he'd had good conversations with Will that they would, you know, they'd already discussed if a move didn't come out working forward and him trying to fight his way in and I think mm. that was a recognition from the manager early on that it was going to be very difficult to find a good deal for him and therefore the two would have to kind of get their heads around the idea of kind of cracking on for the rest of the season so 
Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's a funny one, but the, the fact of the matter is, at the moment, Will just doesn't seem to fit the profile of what Phil wants from a centre forward. And we talked earlier about Charlie White and the the importance of that pressing game and that off the ball contribution. Um, and and at the moment, Greg seems to be quite quite far behind in that. Um, and and it, at the moment, it's very difficult to see him fighting his way back in. But then, the reason why you have to have that relationship and 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 keep players interested is because you're only one injury away from the picture yeah. changing entirely and Grigg becoming a very important substitute so yeah it'll be interesting to see how that develops and just one other player I want to get your views on Kieran um, Ethan Robson obviously we've talked a lot about Power Dobson and Scowan and you've got Ethan Robson in the mix now as well mm. having um, stayed at the club in January it's a big five months for him four months for him isn't it but it's whether how much game time he'll actually actually get between now and the end of the season yes I was impressed with Ethan Robson when I first seen him in the championship and he obviously has went out on loan on a number of occasions I believe and you know I, I don't think he would have decided to stay at the club on a whim I think he would have had conversations with the manager hmm. and the manager may have informed him in much the same way he may have with Will Grigg you, you might be not flavour of the month at the moment, but if you perform on the training ground and you act in a professional manner, then it's up to you to force your way in. But I think with the arrival of Scowen, he's obviously not going to be next in line yeah. to Dobson or Power. Um, but I, I, I certainly thought that he was—he looked a very composed player, very comfortable. Um, but I. I suppose the concern would be, you know, a, a lot is made about the Category 1 status of the academy. But fundamentally, the most important thing about a youth development programme at any football club is the players. Mm. And some have spoken about the, you know, the development or the progress that's been made, but there's not that many players coming through to play for Sunderland in League 1. Um, as, as, as you may have think, if this is you know, as a, if it's a category one status and everything that that entails, um, you would like to think that if they're playing in League One, they should have already made their um, their, their mark by now. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, Phil Parkinson knows better. I, I believe that there was um, positive commentary from Ian Holloway. Very much so. Yeah. You know, yeah. He had, good, he had a good spell in the first half of um, the season. Yeah. But e even with that. Football managers generally are quite reluctant. They try and accentuate positives all the time, mm. you know. Or maybe it's just if there was anything negative, it doesn't tend to reach the public domain in the same regard. Um, but I think he's down the, the pecking order. At, yeah. ov well, obviously, he is at the moment. Good stuff. Just finally, uh, Bristol Rovers predictions, James. Um, I'm going to go one nil Sunderland again. So served me well last week. So I think I'll go two nil. Bit more of a struggle for 2 0, right? They used to press the Rovers started the season. Mm. They were in the top 10 for yeah. that. They, yeah. lost, they lost their manager. I think they've struggled since yeah. then. They went to Mansfield, didn't they? And they yeah. found it very tough since then. I know that, leaving Bristol Rovers at that time yeah. to go to Mansfield seemed. Yeah. I think he, his family reasons, I think he, lived, he was from there. I think his family was still around around that area, I think. So I think okay. that, that was the point. They're a, I, think. I think they're a club that um, that pays very well as well, Mansfield yeah. at that level, which you know is, is always a factor, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, of course. Confident of another win, Phil? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think I think Tuesday nights the you know Fleetwood and Coventry are the are the are the big yeah. ones, huge tests. But given the way they've played at home, I, you know, 
I'm not going to say anymore. 3-0 <laughs> up at half-time. Because that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what you go to games now expecting yeah, a lot that's, of the that's time. That's dangerous, isn't it? You'd settle for that. Um, and just very finally, um, James Sullen, ladies. Uh, Kira Ramshaw makes her 200th appearance, hopefully, if she's selected. If, if it stopped raining. If it yeah. stops raining and mm. she's selected tonight. Um, just a quick word from yourself on, yeah, on that. And yeah, congratulations from, from all at the Echo and... Um, on behalf of Sullen fans and Sullen ladies fans as well, a brilliant achievement. She's somebody who um, kind of embodies the whole city, really, in terms of she's a hard worker, she's loyal, but she's also got um, you know skill and intelligence and flair. So yeah, looking forward to going up there to see her tonight. And um, there's a, there's an interview with her on the Sullen Echo site now, which if you're from Sunderland or you're a Sunderland fan, you will appreciate because uh, I think she's living everybody's dream at the moment, which is uh, which is great for her. And um, yeah, uh, head over to the Echo website for uh, for more on that after the game tonight. Hopefully, if it's on. Good stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, that brings to an end another raw podcast. Kieran, thank you very much for your your time thank and you comments. Thank you very much for asking me. Um, head to the Sun and Echo website for full details on how to listen and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, available in all the usual places. Please like, subscribe, and rate. Uh, any feedback or questions, please send them in to at Sun Echo SAFC on Twitter. And our thanks, as always, to the University of Sunland. And until next time, thanks for listening to the raw.